0: all right everybody welcome to episode 19 of in the flat podcast this week we're going to dive into the latest college football news have some fun conversations around arch manning nfl draft and more so let's dive right into it so um you know, not a lot of crazy news in, in college football, but obviously they, they keep churning out news. Seems like daily. Uh, so Al Golden, the linebacker coach of the Cincinnati Bengals, who was just in the Super Bowl, and it was a previous head coach at Miami Temple, who has been hired on as a defensive coordinator at Notre Dame. Um, any any thoughts there, guys? I think that's a pretty good hire for Marcus Freeman. It's a better coach that's been a head coach before, which is I think what they needed with that young staff. Uh, so I think it's going to be a you know pretty valuable for him to lean on. Al Golden, who, if you remember, has some trouble in Miami just because the I think the school kind of turned on him. Um, so what do you guys think about this one? Ben? I
1: think it's I think it's huge. I think it's a big, a big pickup. Um both uh for Notre Dame and I think, you know, Al Golden, uh, you know, that's a big move step up. You know, you're a linebackers coach for NFL team, but prestigious Notre Dame, you know, you're the DC. Uh, now, so that's you know that's huge for both sides.
0: Yep, yeah, for sure. Um, so, sorry if my my ear broke up for a second. Sorry, it's just my Wi-Fi, guys. Um, yeah. So I think that will be. I mean, I think it's gonna be key for Marcus Freeman to get some veterans in there. Um, and I think that'll be key, especially if he has to focus more on the offense, work with Tommy Reese, see what's going on there, make sure we're moving in the right direction with quarterback development, things of that nature. He can could, he could know there's a veteran coach over there on the defensive side. He doesn't have to worry as much in there. Um, so I, I think that would be good. Um, Let's we'll talk a little bit about some contract extensions. I don't think anything crazy, but Cincinnati head coach Luke Fickle agreed to a contract extension for 2028. Um, Jim Harbaugh had a, signed a five-year contract extension. And then David Randis had a contract extension for 2029. So all had successful seasons. All, you know, have been signed on to stay. Uh, more you know i think cincinnati get a little fickle he get about five million a year for his contract which you know gets him up there t- closer to the more of the bigger you know conferences so i think that'll keep him around i think cincinnati for a while um we'll see if that jim Hartball contract comes back to bite him because I, I feel like him flirting with the nfl probably gonna hurt them a little bit recruiting but i think this will hopefully help you know show that he's gonna be here for a while and then David aranda i think there's a lot of people coming after him with openings this year. He did a really good job at Baylor. So I think that was a no brainer for Baylor to get that done. Uh, so, Ben, any thoughts any on these extensions?
2: None of them were surprising, but the Luke Fickle one is interesting. He he must be pretty happy at Cincinnati to get kind of locked in. Even if he doesn't finish out the contract, he's kind of locked in for the next two or three seasons, you know? So he must be reasonably happy there. He, he must not feel like he needs to move on to a bigger job anytime soon. Um, I don't know exactly what the buyout is, but I'm sure it's big enough to make some teams pause before they before they jump on him next offseason. So I, I did think that was interesting that Fickle was, was happy enough to go ahead and get locked in for a few years there.
0: Yeah, you know, I think it helps that they're moving to the Big 12, and now they're going to become a big school themselves. So they'll be happy. I think, you know, I think he's – it's no secret. His, his schools he would want to leave for is Notre Dame, Ohio State, and Penn State. So none of those schools seem to be in opening for a while, so he might as well – if he's happy at Cincinnati he's getting money now that he, that he he probably should have been make, making so he definitely would stay as well um he, you guys see any of these contracts going bad within a couple of years and coaches getting fired or you think they're they're pretty safe with what they did last year
1: um I think Harbaugh, like you said flirting with the NFL but um if he doesn't come back next year and have a, a great season like he did I can see you know that five-year extension being like Really? you know, he had one one good year, one year he beat Ohio State, and now he they can barely stay in the top ten, the Bears stay in the top fifteen. So I can see the hardball, but the other ones I, I think are perfect. I think Luke Fickle they they need him to stay there. I need to pay him like a big twelve coach at, at this point because they're moving in the next couple of years. So but the Harball hardball, that's that's the biggest what if scenario for me. Yeah.
0: All right, uh, let's talk about Brian Hartson and Auburn now. I think last week we talked, we assumed by this time he would be fired. But they decided to keep him, which I honestly don't think this is going to turn out well for anybody involved, the the, the students, the coach, the school. Uh, But they kept him. And, you know, you're not going to turn down staying somewhere. But I feel like he did have a lot of um, support from the school or from the players during the beginning of this. And they decided to keep him, which means they must not have found anything wrong He's just a tough-willed coach, maybe, but I don't know. I mean, there's a lot of there's a lot of smoke here, so there's got to be a little bit of fire, I would imagine. I, I just this has got to kill recruiting. If you're a recruit and all this is coming out, why do you want to go play for this guy? You know, what's going to make you? I mean, unless you're a lower-level recruit and you want to have opportunity to go to Auburn, why would you come here? I mean, Ben, what do you think is going to end the situation? You think, you know, is he going to make it for the year? I guess would be a good question.
2: <laughs> it's a great question. We brought it up last week that the finances were already a pretty heavy burden there at auburn even before harson got there so that financially they may not have had much of a choice to at least push on for another season everything you said is true my one of my biggest concerns actually is that the sec west is brutal next year auburn might be possibly the weakest team in the west next year mississippi state is trending up Ole miss doesn't look like they're going anywhere LSU should be a little bit better and more organized than last year. Um, Arkansas, I don't think they're going anywhere. Um, Alabama, of course, just sitting right there at the top. I don't know if I'm missing anybody there. Auburn's got their hands full even without <laughs> all the distractions that they've got. So uh, it doesn't look pretty for Auburn right now, heading into the next season.
0: Yeah. Yeah, you know, maybe he'll turn this around and surprise us all. I, I just I just don't I don't see it happening. So well, what's we'll the best for you, Auburn? Um, all right, let's talk a little bit about the Sunbelt drama that's out there. So, Sunbelt Bound, Marshall, Odominia, and Southern Miss all announced plans to leave the conference, leave Comfort USA on June 30th. Um, but there's there's a lot of legal action stopping them from doing that. I believe that's right there. They're going to the Sunbelt. I'm not crazy that they're leaving Conference USA to go to the Sunbelt. Right. Okay. Um, so yeah, it seems like there's legal action to stop them from doing that. They're scheduled to play football on both conferences next year. It's a little, little messy. So yeah, something to keep our eye on and what, what plays out there. I imagine, you know, unless they pay a lot of money, they're not gonna be able to get out of these contracts this year. I mean, because this like Texas, Oklahoma, I mean, they made the agreement to go to SEC, but unless they pay like 50 million dollars, they're not gonna be able to leave the conference. And and I, I don't see any way that they can leave the conference without some kind of if they have a contract to play without some type of financial agreement for sure um i do want to mention art briles obviously the baylor head coach they got in a lot of trouble for the rape culture that, that baylor had um you know obviously every time someone tries to hire him it's in the news and there comes a lot of drama and they end up backing off of hiring him the next the next school doing that is um gravelly which is looking to hire him as their new offensive coordinator i was surprised i mean that Grambling would go this direction with art briles um I guess the question begs, Well, will start you, Jordan. Do you think Art the serve to be a coach in football again, uh, especially college football? What do you think?
1: Yeah, it's, it's, you know, tough. You know, you don't know. You know they, there's been a lot that came out about all that, you know, all the Baylor stuff. But, you know, you don't know what was going on in his head. You don't know a lot of things that went on. So... I think you give him a chance, you give him a couple years if you know he doesn't pan out the way you did. you know you you made a mistake. but I think give him a chance, I think okay, especially to a smaller school. Um, but I, I don't I don't see him coming back to a big you know power five team for a long, long time.
0: Honestly, you know, for me, I don't think he should be – I think we had this conversation last week with every coach, but I don't think he should be coaching college kids. Um, I mean, he was older – pretty. he was an older g- gentleman already when he was coaching these kids at Baylor. I don't know if he would to learn his lesson in this couple of years' time if he, had, he didn't know it then. I just think, you know, if you want to try to be a, a football coach, try in the NFL level. Try to be an assistant coach somewhere at the NFL level. Work your way up to offensive coordinator there. I just don't know if I would trust my kids with this guy that just let them run wild and be like, now again, we weren't there. We don't know everything that happened, but there's been enough documentation that stuff was covered up that I just don't know if he deserves that chance. But what do you think, Ben? Would you would you give him the opportunity? It's been obviously, well, I don't how many years has it been? Like five to seven years, somewhere like that. So and would you give him that chance now?
2: I want to tread carefully here because like Jordan said, we don't know exactly what was going through his head and what he did and didn't know. There was a whole lot of finger pointing there between him and, and the upper administration and Baylor. Me personally, I wouldn't I wouldn't hire him. Um, not at the college level. At, at the pro level, yeah, I, I, you know, X's and O's, he knows what he's doing. And, and they can't get a better X's and O's guys there at Grambling than what he will be. Yeah. But all the baggage that comes with it, I wouldn't hire him at Baylor if for no other reason than that he just didn't know what was going on at Baylor. Um, so I that, I, so I wouldn't hire him at Grambling if for no other reason he didn't know what was happening at Baylor. Um, if the more he knew, the worse it looks. So I wouldn't hire him there at Grambling myself.
0: Yeah. Well, we'll see. I mean, you know, I hate to say that, you know, you never get to work again. But, again, if, if if he did it, if he looked every way on these situations, he should it. But then, again, right. I mean, we don't know what he knows. because if any, I don't know if you guys watched any of his interviews. He really did it well. Let a lot out in those interviews to let you know one way or other what he didn't know and he didn't seem very apologetic when he first oh. had the initial interview so that's where it concerns me if this came out and you still were apologetic it's it's tough for me to, to think you didn't know something so um let's go to a couple other topics um so ed ordron said he plans to return after a year off of coaching um what is the perfect spot maybe not job, but what, I mean, what, what would you, what would you place at or drawing? I don't think he's a good head coach, right? So, but he's a good recruiter. Uh, I don't know if you see him on the interview cycle this week, but he was talking about um, he was, and when he was USC, he was re- um, recruiting Adrian Peterson and Adrian Peterson wanted to stay in Oklahoma because his dad was in jail and um, he can only watch the local games there. So he wanted to be able to watch and play in Oklahoma. So he actually went and tried to get him moved to California jail system before they can actually recruit him to USC. That's how – I mean, that's kind of recruiter this guy was. He'll go to the extra mile and make anything happen. So I think you put him in there, and he relates well with kids. He's very excitable, energetic guy. I think recruiting in some role would be good. I just don't know if it's head coach. Uh, what do you think, Ben? Do you think head coach is in the future, or would you look at it more of assistant level for him?
2: Yeah, head coach is not in his future if I'm the guy doing the hiring, I just (laughs) wouldn't, but players love him, Uh, players love this guy to death, they they will do anything he asks, because like you said, he goes the extra mile for them, he he really bonds and connects with his players, he has for a couple of decades now, and his recruiting prowess is, is, is well known, so He's, he's done a lot of defensive line work. He's been at USC a couple of times. I, I, I don't know if they've actually hired a D-line guy there at USC or not, but it makes sense. He, he's one of those guys that even when he leaves the program, you still like him and love him to death, even though you probably don't want him being the head coach.
0: Yeah, I do wonder, you know, if you put him in a head coaching position at a smaller school – And he's able to hire, like, if you look at his LSU years, he was successful. He hired a very dynamic offensive and defensive coordinator. And they were excellent because he just focused on, you know, the player personnel side of it. And they focus on the X's and O's. And I think that's where he was kind of perfect. Jordan, what what do you think? Do you think um, if you were a smaller school, would you give him him a chance? Or did you see enough those last couple of years where you'd be kind of hesitant? I
1: think give him a chance. But like you said, not a head coach. I think he he lost that, you know, respect for people to give him as a head coach um, with all the LSU things. So I feel like he has to work on it again and work for it. I think you start him off lower and, and then through the years move him up. Um, Just but he has he has to earn it. And right now he's probably at the lowest, not the lowest load. Like you said, he's a really good recruiter. So like you can start him off as a recruiting uh coordinator something for recruiting. And you bring uh if he does successful in that, then you can move him up to a assistant a one another assistant coach or something. But head coaching right now, I, I don't think a program will get behind him.
0: Yeah. You know, this reminds me of like Les Miles, which is weird that they they both went to LSU, because I mean there wasn't a lot of schools giving him a chance because it was very similar where you know, I don't know if he's as dynamic on offensive, defensive X's and O's. He was just a good leader of a team and player personnel. So Kansas gave him an opportunity and that is what went way out of whack. So, you know, I think the same thing may happen if, you know, he weren't hired somewhere else. So, yeah, I think, you know, if I was looking for someone that even like a special teams coach, that could focus on recruiting. I mean, that'd be perfect for him. Um, so, you know, we'll see what, what pans out for him next year. Uh, the, the final piece of news is uh, on the Big Ten side. Uh, I don't know if recently there's been some talk that the Big Ten will cut down their, their conference games from nine to eight and potentially cut out their uh, divisions and schedule an extra game with the, the the alliance they created with the Pac-12 and ACC. But I know recently some, some different Big Ten ADs are saying they don't want to lose that knife game. And it, and it seems like they're not as for the alliance as they may seem. Honestly, it seems like the one that's really for the alliance the most is the Pac-12. Because they need it the most. Honestly, the ACC started to get to the point where they need it too. If I was a Big Ten, if I'm going to do an alliance with anyone, if I'm going to lose a game, it's going to be the SEC. So I'm not sure if this is beneficial to them at all. Um, so Jordan, what do you think? Would, if you're the Big Ten, do you do you go through with this alliance? Does it make sense for you as a big as the Big Ten is the second best, you know, as far as teams and, and ratings and things like that, conference? Would you go through with this alliance or would you try to suck
1: with maybe the SEC. I don't go through with this alliance. I think um location wise for the Big 10 and Pac 12, they're kind of far. Um but not even that like the Pac 12, you know, there's you know two teams last year that were anything. And you know one that everyone thought would be the Pac 12 team wasn't even the Pac 12 team in Oregon. So who who are you gonna play? Are you gonna play uh USC or Stanford that is not good, or or so you're 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 gonna lose the um, college football playoff ranking. You know, oh they played this two and ten USC team that isn't good, so we're gonna your your points are gonna drop. Kind of, I I think you just at this point I don't think it, it was a good
2: idea to sign and go through with this alliance.
0: Yeah, what about you, Ben? Do you have any different opinion there?
2: Hey, mixed, mixed feelings. If, if the schedule is only talking about one game a year, getting taken away from Big Ten schedule and turning into a Pac-12 matchup and that's early in the season, I kind of like it actually. But if you're talking about teams flying back and forth across the country a lot, especially in the middle of the season, I don't like that at all from a schedule standpoint. Money's a big factor here, but the Big Ten seems to have plenty of it right now. I don't think they're hurting for money badly enough to need this alliance. Power is lurking. The SEC continues to grow more powerful. They continue to win these titles, continue to send multiple teams some years to the the Final Four. They continue to add teams from other conferences. So that power factor is lurking. and That's what really drove the Big Ten and the Pac-12 to start looking to hook up together anyway is the SEC is getting more powerful, and that means they get to do more of the decision-making for all these other teams. Uh, so I have mixed feelings about it. It would be awkward if they actually do pull it off, but uh, there's there are reasons behind it.
0: Yep. No, for sure. Yeah, I kind of am an agreement. I, I feel like they made sense when they first made the agreement, but as you look into the directories of both the ACC and the Pac-12, it just doesn't make sense long-term, I think, for that conference. You know, if I was them, I would really look to – you know, how can we shore up our conference? Can we lure Notre Dame into the into the Big Ten? Can we lure another team? Like, if I was them, I try to get Notre Dame, Clemson into the Big Ten, and just like go all out and try to go against the SEC. But it might be tough. But if you get if you get Clemson, I think you can get Notre Dame if you get both of those in there because I think eventually we're gonna go to super conferences and it's. If I was them, i will try to get ahead of that. Um, all right, let's jump to some you know some fun questions we have this week. Um, So looking up some projected top 10, you know, in the NFL draft, uh, we wanted uh, to talk to you about, you know, what our preferences are. If we were running a team, who would we take first overall? Uh, So I'll go through a list and obviously there's a lot of different top 10 lists out there. So I'll just kind of read off the top 10 list that we're going off of, which is um, Aiden Hutchinson, the edge out of Michigan. Akeem Iguanu, uh, the offensive tackle out of North Carolina State. Evan Neal, offensive tackle out of Alabama. Kayvon Timodeau, the edge, edge out of Oregon. Kyle Hamilton, the safety out of Notre Dame. Trevion Walker, the edge out of Georgia. Devin Lloyd, the linebacker of Utah. Charles Cross, the um, offensive tackle of Mississippi State. Derek Stingley, the cornerback out of LSU. And then Amon Gardner, the cornerback out of Cincinnati. So those are the, the projected top tens that I've seen the most. Um, so Jordan, let's we'll start with you. Who is your guy? If you're you know, your, your, your team sucks. You need somebody to fix it. Um, you know, there's a lot of different open spots that would fix your team. It could be offensive. It could be defense. Where are you going here?
1: So if you're going off like the Jacksonville Jaguars and the number one pick overall, uh, they definitely need offensive tackle. They need or offensive linemen in general. And the biggest thing right now is, you know, you read off three names on that the top 10 list we have. the Combine's coming up. I don't know for sure, like, out of the three, who would be the best? Um, You know, uh, Evan Neal, you know, great year at Alabama. So he probably, for me, would be the front runner for a team like a Jacksonville that has a young, hopefully promising quarterback that can carry them uh, for the next couple years that he just needs to be protected. And – that and it's kind of crazy to see the top 10 not having an offense or offensive skill player in there. But that right there is the biggest thing. Um, it, it you build it around what's your strengths, like you said. Um, but if you're going off the first round pick, second round pick, it's going to be the jack being just offensive linemen. Um, those if you have a good quarterback and you can get the blocking for him, you're gonna it's going to open up the game a lot. Um, For him, for your running back, for a lot of different aspects of your offense. So, right, I mean, just that offensive line depends on where you're at. But with the combine coming up, it's just it's a toss up as of right now. No one's really stuck out as amazing with on defense or offense, really.
0: That's good, good, good thoughts. You know, I, I guess it really does depend on your team needs. So obviously in this situation, if you were Jacksonville, you know, you do have the quarterback in place, you know, you need that protection for him. Um, but yeah, I mean, I guess my philosophy is you um, you go for me, if I'm, a, if I'm a general manager on a team, I'm always going to go after, you know, surefire superstar that I can get if I'm the first pick. And obviously, I just don't. I'm never going to draft an offensive lineman first overall. I would, you know, trade down if I have to, but I'm not going to take an offensive lineman. I know those are important. You know, the win to win a line of scrimmage, but I want someone that could really impact the game. You know, from a skill position or from a defensive position. So that's why I would take, uh, K. Von I, I just feel like he's the, the best out of out this list. The best defensive player um, with with Colin Hamilton second. They could really, you know, when he was able to play, my concern would be his injuries. He had injured a lot in a short time at Oregon. But when he did play, I mean, he really impacted the game. I mean, he shut down the other team's best player normally at the line of scrimmage. So that's who I would would tend to go to. What about you, Ben? How about how, where would you kind of, you know, kind of target there?
2: Yeah, if we're eliminating trading down and if we're not talking about team-specific needs, there's three players for me that I really, really like. One of them is Kayvon Thibodeau. He is so fast. <laughs> he is so fast. Uh, offensive tackles have a hard time just staying in front of him. He's got good strength, but the speed, he can go inside and outside. It's like, it's like the offensive tackles are only on ice, and he's on turf. That's how fast he can get by these guys. The speed is unbelievable. He can catch up to quarterbacks. He can catch up to running backs who are running away from him. Speed is unbelievable. Uh, You mentioned the injuries, but, man, he is so fast. Love Kayvon Thibodeau. Uh, The other guy is Ike from the the left tackle from NC State. He's so smooth. In run blocking, uh, he he just shuts it down, man. Whatever blocking he's supposed to do, it's sealed. It it, it is done. Uh, Pass blocking, he's pretty consistent. You don't generally see the same guy beating him over and over again throughout a game. He's pretty good in pass blocking as well. Every once in a while, he looks a little confused about who to block. But in general, I like Aquano from NC State. And, and the last guy, uh, sorry, I'm looking at my list right now. The last guy that I had uh, is Hamilton. Sorry, I should have known that. from Notre Dame. Uh, Hamilton, the free safety. Hamilton is a ball hawk. I, I don't know if he's necessarily the best cover guy, but he's like a center fielder. He is tracking balls to every part of the football field. And it's dangerous to throw the ball anywhere deep if Hamilton's a safety. He could be a game changer in terms of turnovers for an NFL team.
0: Yeah, for sure. No, I, you know, I see these are a lot of a good, solid play. I would say it's a weaker draft at least from the top level. Um, right. You know, if offensive players not being here, uh, but I think you know those few players. I don't think they can go wrong. I am surprised with I've seen so many Agent Hutchinson going number one mock drafts. I just don't see it like. I know he's a good player, but I don't think I see him number one draft level player. So that, that was confusing to me. But, you know, I guess you know, we'll see. What, I think the combine will, will get a lot of that cleared out. So we'll see how that goes coming up pretty soon.
2: Yeah, I'm with you, Tony. Uh, I'm not knocking Hutchinson. I think he'll be a fine football player. But number one overall, I I, I just wouldn't do it myself.
0: Yeah, I mean it's tough. I mean, I, I'm tough not taking a quarterback. I mean, but I guess in this case, Jackson is a new quarterback if it was him anyway. So honestly, if I, I would go the route of trying to go down a few spots and get a wide receiver that could be dynamic with um quarterback because that's what Cincinnati did last year. I mean, obviously, you know, Jordan Burrow almost got killed because the offensive line still sucked, but they got to the Super Bowl because he had that um Jefferson. They they drafted him to over offensive lineman and see how that worked out for him. So I mean, you just got to – sometimes you just have to go what's going to get you, you know, the most valuable points, get the most out of your quarterback. And I think for them, I think that would do it. Um, What's up have another question here? There's a lot of the news off from the recruiting side about Arch Manning, uh, the nephew to Peyton and Eli Manning. Um, you know, supposedly he's the number one-rated quarterback in the in – the, in recruiting, and he's supposedly down to – Ole Miss, Alabama, Georgia, and Texas. Doe there was some reports coming out that um you know LSU is getting involved. Obviously, he's from Louisiana, so that might be an option for him. Um, but he really before he hasn't really considered him. I would say that the top two, it seems to me, are um Texas, Alabama with Ole Miss kind of coming in third. So um, what's the, if you were Arch Manning, what's going to be the biggest one to give him the, the most opportunity to be successful and get to the NFL? Um, Jordan, what about you? What, if you were Arch Manning and you were advising him or you were advising him, where would you tell him to go?
1: It's uh, such a hard question. Um, luckily, he's the class, you know, the next, not this coming class, but the class next. So, I mean, if you wanted to, Alabama, I mean, they're about to lose. They're probably going to uh, lose. Bryce Young is probably going to head to the draft after this year. Um, So I feel like, like you said, it's going to be Texas, Alabama, and Ole Miss is going to be that dark horse that kind of – we wouldn't be really surprised if he went there. Um, So it's such a hard question because it's down to four now. Uh, If it was down to two, it would be a lot easier. But the four, it's just, you know, all those teams have the, you know, the qualities a player looks at to grow um you know alabama being a national championship georgia uh, team georgia being the same thing old miss is offense you know you you can have the best uh passing season of your career at old miss um texas you know you can go there and grow texas so there's there's things that you good things for both all four so um it's just a hard question but i, I definitely think Alabama, Ole Miss, Texas. Uh, I, don't, I don't see him going to Georgia. I just don't see Georgia being able to pull him in because their offense hasn't been uh, as great as Alabama, Ole Miss. So.
0: How about you, Ben? Have, this is your son. Where are you telling him to go? Yeah, it, and it's
2: not easy. All, all four teams, five teams are, are fascinating. If we're just viewing it through the lens of getting ready for the NFL – I'm going to look at Alabama and Ole Miss. Obviously, Nick Saban has brought several guys through who probably maybe shouldn't have even been considered for the NFL, and yet they were because they played at Alabama. I trust him to take care of the quarterback and develop the quarterback. And quite frankly, Lane Kiffin with Ole Miss. Um, There's some family history there for Ole Miss. Um, Lane Kiffin, I think you can trust him to put him in a great offense right away, produce tons of yardage, and grow as a quarterback. So, I, those would be my two spots if I were trying to advise him. Texas is a fine program, but the inconsistency there bothers me. If I, if I wanted to send somebody there, it, it just kind of bothers me how inconsistent they've been over the years.
0: Yeah. I you know. Looking at these teams, I kind of broke it down myself. I like the Texas. They my fear would be that Steve Vercation will be fired in a year or two because of that inconsistency. You know, they, they've had promising starts to every single coach they throw in, but then they end you know, up get a fire within a short period of time. So that would really, I would need more consistency from them. I don't think they would be on my list. Georgia, I just don't think Kirby Smart knows how to manage quarterbacks. So he, they would be out for me. Same thing about LSU. I mean, if I'm going, no offense to Brian Kelly, he's had some good quarterback play like Ian Book in Notre Dame, but, if you talk to anybody in Notre Dame, you know, the one shortcoming they had was a quarterback and quarterback development. And so I just don't think he has that in there. I don't know if he has the right staff to develop a quarterback. So that's down to Alabama and Ole Miss, basically. And, um, you know, I would – the two questions I would want to ask, you know, if I was, say, the dad, I would want to know, well, Nick Saban, how long are you going to be at Alabama? Will you be here the whole time my son's here? Yep. And same thing, Lane Kiffin. Lane, I know you're a popular coach. People are always reaching out to, like, hire you for different jobs are you going to be here for my son. Obviously they can lie whatever they're going to do, but I would like to be in a room just just kind of read them a little bit. I think if you're safer bet would be Alabama because, you know, they do develop quarterbacks well and they they win. I like the old Miss factor just cuz Lane Kiffin is just kind of fun, has a fun offense. Um it would be tough between those two. I would really narrow it down there and see how some of those conversations went I think. Um All right. So, let's talk about how long we think some traditional powers um, like, let's just narrow down to Miami, Texas, Florida State, USC, let's say, how long until they return the title contention, um, so, you know, title contention is, they're on the cups of the playoffs, so they might necessarily have to get to the playoff, but they're, like, knocking on the door, like, they're, like, in the, they end up in the fifth, sixth, or seventh spot at the end of the year, barely missing the playoff, or making the playoff, you know, really being back in that chance to win a, win a title, or at least win a game to get to the playoffs, that kind of thing, so, uh, ben, what about you? What do you What do you got,
2: sir? Let me start off with the easy one, and that's Florida State. Bless their hearts. I I don't see them, you know, five years would shock me to death. I'm thinking more like eight to ten years before they have any shot, and, and that's even assuming you know you get the right guy in the door. They are so far behind in recruiting. The landscape has changed around them in the past five seasons. These other Florida schools are getting plenty of these recruits, and we're talking Central Florida, South Florida, um, and other other programs are coming from all over the place and just raiding the state. Some of these recruits, Florida State is so far behind. For me, personally, I'm, I'm thinking eight years, ten years before they're back knocking on the door of a national title again. Um, I, I think the other three teams are closer. So Miami, I, I think maybe two to four years before they could conceivably. I, I like USC and Texas the best. I, I think for USC and Texas to get back in the top 10, I don't think it's that difficult. I think they're just a couple of seasons away, assuming they, they're doing everything right and they got the right guy in. I, I think USC and Texas are the closest. All
0: right, Jordan, what do you, what do
2: you say, sir?
1: I'm with Ben 100% on all of that. Uh, I think Florida State, I, I don't think I'll be able to give a time period a amount of years that I see Florida State, you know, bringing back their season, I mean, or back to play out for title contention in, in general. I, I just don't see Florida State growing anymore, especially with, I mean, there's two biggest schools in the country right now, Alabama, Georgia, are like right there. They get recruits out of Florida all the time. All the time. So, but... Texas, I think Texas, Miami, and USC are all in the same boat with the whole uh, two to four years, uh, two to six years. Um, Maybe USC a little faster, just because um, they're this, especially this year they've been really good at getting players out of transfer portal. Um, And I, but it's so hard to see any of these teams in the state they are right now to get there, but two to four years for Texas, Miami, USC, um, I could see maybe Texas a little longer just because they're switching over to the SEC and they got to compete with that. But, yeah, you know, it'll just – it'll all depend on recruiting in the next couple of years for all these teams. And if they don't have good recruiting, uh, then they're kind of going to be lost
0: no, yeah, good points for, I guess, you know, I think if I'm looking at those teams, I uh, sorry, FSU, I, I think Florida State's going to be a long ways away as well. No, I mean, they have it, obviously, they can turn it around with a quarterback, but I just, I'm just not sure anybody wants to walk into that situation right now. So we, like I can see in every year, they hire another coach, and they go through this whole process again. If that coach is special, it may take them three to five years. So, I mean, yeah, right. I'm thinking more like five years as well for, for this team. Um. I think Texas. I just every time I think Texas is gonna pull herself back up, I, they 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 falter. So I think two to four years, but I wouldn't be surprised if ten years from now they still haven't got back to where they were. It would have surprised me. Right. Um, Miami, I would say two to three years. I have more. I'm more gung ho on Miami just because I think Mario Cristobal is gonna. It's much easier. To recruit in Miami than it is in some of these other schools because all around them are, are top-tier players that, that want to go there and he's going to be able to and with his recruiting files he'll be able to bring them in and so I think he's going to start off well also because he has a quarterback coming in next year so if they'll have a successful season it will be an even easier time to bring the recruits so I think they have probably one of the easier times uh USC I think one to two years I think um I mean, you have Caleb Williams and a couple of good recruiting classes. They're going to be winning. I think they'll get 10, 11 wins potentially next year, um, definitely the year after. So I think they're going to be closer. Now, I, I still don't think they're going to be able to fix the line of scrimmages or defense right away. And so, you know, they won't be able to win a national championship, but they'll be at least talking about it, I think, in the next one or two years. So that's kind of where I see it. All right, here's a good question for you guys. So if you're an athletic director, um, would you hire a group of five head coach or a top power five assistant? You know, there's obviously some differences there. A group of five head coach has that head coaching experience, but they may not have ever been a assistant in the, um, the power fives. They don't know the recruiting grind that takes and things like that. So there's going to be things they have to learn compared to, you know, a power five assistant where power five assistant will have to learn how to be a head coach. There's Definitely pros and cons of both. So, uh, Ben, what would you do? You're Say you're hiring Nick Saban. Well, this might be a little different Nick Saban retires. But say a, a decent size, you know, like a Tennessee or someone comes in and you have an opportunity to, to hire the best power five assistant or the best group of five head coach. Which one are you going for? At,
2: at the moment, and I can see it either way. I'm not stuck to this. At the moment, I'm going to get the group of five coaches. And, and really the reason for it is, I think there's some awfully good ones out there right now. You guys know I love Jamie Chadwell down from Coastal Carolina. I hire him in a heartbeat at, say, for instance, Tennessee. I also like uh, Tyson Helton from uh, Western Kentucky. Ran that crazy loaded offense this past year in which Bailey Zappi just threw for a million yards and, and touchdowns. So I would be looking at him, too. And, and I don't know if this guy still technically counts or not, but uh, Luke Fickle, before he signed the contract from Cincinnati, man, I hire him in a heartbeat, too. So it kind of depends on who's out there, but those are my guys. So I'd be going five right now, personally. All
0: right, Jordan, do you agree?
1: No, I, I, I don't. I mean, there's so many great Power Five uh, assistants out there, and we've seen, you know, great Power Five assistants become great head coaches, especially in the last couple of years. You know, you got Kirby Smart, you got Lane Kiffin, all sat behind. Probably one of the best, uh, head coaches, college head coaches, ever. I, I just don't see how. But I'm with Ben on that. Uh, you know, it depends on who's out there at the time. You know, if a Power Five assistant from Alabama is looking, you know, looking, you know, you talk to him, he seems like he's interested. Yes, he's gonna go. But if, if you could get, you know, a, uh, Luke Fickle, you know that kind of thing in i it's such a hard choice because i would think in the sense if we're still doing the power 5 group of 5 thing a top assistant in a power 5 is close to the same thing as a group of 5 head coach in the sense of you know kind of ranking wise so it's such a hard choice but i think still right now a power 5 assistant is is your and It's my best bet in my head.
0: Well, uh, definitely good discussion. I mean, this is the kind of thing that a um, AD has to decide. This is his career; he's making his decision on. I think to Brian Harson was a group of five head coach probably is in over his head right now because what he never he never even coached in the South. He never recruited as a power five assistant, so he didn't know that grind, and that's what they're um, you know that's what they're looking at now. So it's it's tough when you think of it in that regard. So, you know, you have to do the pros and cons there. If it was me, uh, it really depends. Like say you were Notre Dame this year, Marcus Freeman versus Luke Fickle. I mean, that's a, if they were both open on on the job market, you probably would pick Luke Fickle, but in their situation, it made more sense to hire Marcus Freeman because of the culture and everything they wanted to keep intact there. So it really comes down to the situation, but if I'm definitely in the SEC, I'm hiring a power five assistant. I'm not hiring a group of five head coach. And that's only because I haven't seen it really work well, any group of five head coach going there yet. Um, we'll see how Billy Napier does at Florida, if it works out for him. But the difference with him, and this is what I would look for, he was a power five assistant before he was a group of five head coach. Now, if you get somebody with both of those experiences, then you hit the jackpot. Um, so I, you know, again, it depends on your preferences and what you need, but I would definitely try to go, I probably would go to power five assistant right now Unless it was a really dynamic, you know, uh, group of five that had that experience. Um, let's talk about which um, this last question. So we have a lot of first year head coaches. You know, let's narrow down to maybe the top four, Lincoln Riley, Mario Cristobal, Brett Vernables, and Marcus Freeman. Out of those four, which one do we think is going to be have the most successful first season? Um year one. So um, open up to you, Ben. Which one do you got? You-
2: out of these four? I think they're all actually going to have a good season personally, but uh give Marcus Freeman first. Uh, I think he steps right in. There's there's almost no hiccups in terms of switching around admin. Um, pretty good team coming back. The defensive line is strong. Um, they're they they're, they're ready to, to win a lot of games, I think, and the schedule isn't horrible. I, I think there's maybe maybe three games on the schedule that look tough. I think the rest of it looks pretty Pretty winnable, pretty manageable. After that, I've got Mario Cristobal. Um, You've got a a lot of new stuff going on there, but you've got the quarterback with Tyler Van Dyke, and the ACC isn't brutal at all. It's just not overwhelming. There's a lot of games there that Miami should be winning just because they enter with a quarterback. And I think Mario Cristobal looks like he's going to bring in a staff that's also going to set up the run and commit to the running game to help out Tyler Van Dyke too and keep some pressure off of him. So, to Chris the ball a second after Marcus Freeman.
0: All right, Jordan, what do you say, sir?
1: I'm with Ben on that. Freeman, I think, you know, Freeman inherited an already good team, but what he brought and the recruiting this year, yeah, it, they're in a top – they're a top-four program this year, hands down. Like, so he grew that team more than Brian Kelly thought they could do. Um recruiting class they're in the top number,
0: number seven I think
1: they're say they're seven so they're yeah they're seven they I mean and they recruited great this year so I, I see Marcus Freeman having a great year I think um the biggest thing is how he starts I think that Ohio State game is going to be how we're going to see Marcus Freeman's legacy is it going to be a blowout by Ohio State or is Notre Dame going to hang in there and or blow him out so it'll all depend on that game what what this year is going to bring to Notre Dame. But my second one, I think Lincoln Riley really did a a good job going in the USC and getting a lot out of that transfer portal. Um, the recruiting class wasn't great this year, but that they, they did great. He did great getting all those uh, transfer portal players. So I think he's going to have the next, you know, best year. I mean, the PAC 12 is kind of up for grabs, even though Oregon, Utah are the two teams, but, It's the first time we're seeing Utah up in those conversations for a long time. So that's for up for grabs. So honestly, like Ben said, all these coaches are going to have great years. Um, So, but Marcus Freeman and Lincoln Riley are the two that I see having the years that we expect a first year head coach to have. All right. Uh,
0: For me, you know, what I think – I think of Mario Cristobal, Lincoln Riley. I think they're going to have similar seasons. You know, maybe nine and three, ten and two type seasons because they have quarterbacks in place. They may not have all the full pieces, but they have a lot of talent, and that talent usually out. you can have talent over teams. You know, except for a couple of games a year, I think. So I think nine and three, ten and two for those teams. I actually think Fred Venables is going to have a pretty good season. I mean, obviously, I think he's, he could probably fix that defense for Oklahoma, which has been the the issue for the last few years, and they have a quarterback coming in. Um, the central Florida transfer, and so I think these are the actually. I think he might have a chance to do 10 to 11 to 1 in Oklahoma and have a really good season. Marcus Freeman, it comes down to those three those games you mentioned, but they also, on top of those, they have to play Ohio State, Clemson, and USC, which are going to be tough games. They have to play a dog fight probably in BYU and in Vegas, which is also going to be a tough game, I think, after the way BYU has played the last couple years. So they have four tough games. So it's not, I would say, it's not a normal. Brian Kelly kind of schedule that he runs into, so I don't think we should grade his success based on if he's going to be 12-0 or 11-1 like Brian Kelly has been because I think they might run into a couple tough games this year, but I do foresee him at least being 10-2, and 11-1 is my hope for Notre Dame this year, so I think him and Brent Venables have a chance to have very similar seasons, Um, so we'll kind of see how that plays out, but I I feel like I feel a lot of success for all four coaches, but um, in particular Venables and, and Freeman for sure. All right. Uh, With that, guys, I think that's it for our podcast today. We Thank you for joining us. Um, You know, we'll be sharing our new Twitter account soon. So feel free to give us a follow. We'll follow you back and we'll talk to you next week, guys. Bye.